Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. Once you think about Hi, everyone. Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you can be here with us today. We're going to have a really fun and uplifting conversation about dementia and the joy of healing movement. Uh, I'm really, really excited about this program, and I think you will be too. So don't forget to pass it along and subscribe to our show. If you liked our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, which you can download anywhere. And for those of you that might be new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people raising voices, big and small, all around the world. So feel free to contact me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com if you would like to be on the show. Uh, Let's see here. Before I introduce our guest, I hope that you have all gone to alzheimerspeaks.com. We've just updated the site not too long ago, and we have a ton of free content. You can just go to our free educational resource section and get that information there. Or if you're looking for branding and marketing information or keynotes and training, those sections are very easy to maneuver as well. In fact, um, speaking of events, on October 31st, I'll be out in Minnetonka, Minnesota. We're going to be doing a presentation, um, actually, of the film, A Timeless Love with the Talk Back Afterwards. And then on November 11th, we'll be doing a public event with Volunteers for Seniors. That's going to be um, a free webinar. We're going to be talking about living with dementia. We are going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. And then we will be right back. I love the Footbar Walker. And let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest, there are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, we are back. And our guest today is Casey Bernstein, who is a registered nurse who became a NIA teacher, trainer, 
and Moving to Heal trainer. Casey brings NIA movements to special populations, and she is the owner of the Center for NIA and Yoga in Albany, New York. The NIA organization is actually international, and uh, so she will be representing them as well. So let's talk to Casey. Well, Casey, I am so excited to have you on the show today. I have heard so much about your organization, um, but I I really want to start out, and I do this with all guests on my show first, and that is ask you if you've been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends. Uh, Yes, I have. The closest person um, that I have been affected by uh, Alzheimer's was um, my mother-in-law. And my mother-in-law was, um, she was a very exuberant person. And um, she had enough awareness to um, know she did not want to be in a facility, but not enough awareness to be able to take care of herself. So it was a, it was a struggle, um, particularly for my husband, to find the best environment for her. Um, she was in two assisted livings, but it became too much for them at the assisted living to manage her. And then um, my husband found a facility. It was actually a beautiful memory care facility. However, she was pretty determined not to be in this facility. Um, She was defiant. She was difficult. And then one day um, she fell out of bed. She had only been in the memory care uh, facility for about four months, but she fell out of bed, um, hit her head, had a bleed, came down with uh, essentially pneumonia and died after that. So her, her, um, her effects with dementia was approximately... Um, very challenging for the last two years, and then those last three to four months were extremely difficult. And um, yeah, spirited, spirited woman. Well, you got to love that, though, too. You know, we all want to go down fighting and holding on to what we believe in. And uh, but it does get really complicated for families when their reality is different from ours. And we're worried about safety, and they think they're they're just fine. Well, you know, today we're going to be talking about the the joy of movement and healing. Um, and of course, how that can still happen when someone's living with dementia. So I want to start first talking about the organization, the Center for Nia and Yoga. Can you give us a, a little background on that? That might help people just kind of um, get a base here for where we're going. Well, um, I have a studio, the Center for Nia and Yoga, located in Albany, New York. But what I, what I want to emphasize here is the word Nia and, and talk. I, I have a studio that teaches Nia. Nia um, was started by uh, Debbie Rosas. And again, Debbie Rosas, um, and at the time, uh, was influenced with her partner, Carlos Rosas, um, really looked at this idea of, of um not treating the body as a mechanical machine, 
but looking at the body as this beautiful organic way of moving. So they brought in this idea of different movement forms. So Nia is influenced by um, movement of precision that pulls from the martial arts like Taekwondo, Tai Chi, the slow dance, and Aikido, which is about spiraling and harmonizing. It also pulls from the dance arts, which brings in emotional expression. And the, in, the dance forms that we um, are influence us are jazz about fun and showmanship and modern about emotional expression and shapes. And Isadora Duncan, the woman with the scarves and free, honest, spirited movement. The last one is what's called the healing arts. And the healing arts bring in body awareness programs like Feldenkrais, which again is all about conscious awareness of movement, Felden, um, uh, um, Alexander technique, alignment from the top down, which is great for postural alignment, and of course yoga, which we talk about as the conscious alignment of bones. So this, bones and joints. So this all comes together in a very beautiful, eclectic way that allows for um, the joy of movement, which creates the mind-body connection in a wide variety of ways with a wide variety of diverse music. Well, that sounds just really fun. It um, is. And, you know, I always think of kind of working out, and I would imagine this is going to be a workout for you, kind of mind, body, and soul, this whole right. process, but put a smile on your face to boot um, with that. I mean, you can just see the joy coming off of you um, real easily right. here. And I know our audience can't see that, but trust me, she has a great aura <laughs> and just a real powerful, powerful presence. So in terms of, of working, you know, with people as a whole, um, who are your primary clients or is it a little bit of everybody? It is a little bit of everybody. Um, I, um, uh, the one thing about the, the NIA organization right now, which is really awesome, is it, there's a strong emphasis on diversity so that it's reaching many people culturally. The other thing that happens in it is that NIA is designed that I could have like in my, my evening classes, I have a woman that's 82 years old, and I also have a woman that's in her 30s. And the goal is, is that we provide the particular movement, but it's not a competition. It's something about dancing the joy of movement in our now body, not the body I wanted, not the body that might have been before a particular injury, but really working within the now body of today. And so what, as a teacher, my goal is to bring them the movement, but allow them to experience the movement in their own way. So a class has three intentions. Yes, fitness. We are, we are moving, fitness is involved. There's also a component of self-expression which is a luxury and a gift. And the last one is, is self-healing. So all three of those components are in play with each individual student. I'm a facilitator. When we're NIA teachers, we're facilitators of that practice. Well, and what I love what you're saying is, because I think that this holds a lot of people back from doing fitness or going to clubs, 
is that right or wrong, or people are judging me, or I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it correctly, or I'm not doing it fast enough, or I'm not keeping up, you know, with what what's going on, you alleviate that pressure, which which I would think just makes um, everything flow easier, you know, where you're not kind of congested in the body in terms of being so afraid of not fitting in. And to me, that's, that's a huge, huge benefit in and of itself. Um, so, so I love your, your three objectives there. Now, you know, I know you were a nurse in, in background and stuff. Is that how, you know, dementia came into play in your work or why don't you tell us a little bit in terms of, I would imagine that wasn't your target market when you started, you, you know, this whole program, um, but how does it fit in? Um, as, as a nurse, uh, it goes with the territory to um, be taking care of patients with dementia. And my, um, my background was to work in a nursing home. I did oncology nursing. I did general medicine. And I spent many years in um, the intensive care unit. Um, I had a basic movement philosophy about um, that my job as a nurse was to bring any particular patient to their highest level of movement potential, including how I would um, be with a, a patient that was comatose, bring them through passive range of motion, etc. I found out about NIA uh, in Syracuse, New York, and um, when I was working on my master's degree, and um, and I went into that classroom, and I loved the eclectic nature. I loved that our shoes came off to be able to feel our feet on the floor. I loved that people wore a variety of different flowing outfits or anything, anything went. And it was just that happens for many of us. I knew that this was something that I wanted to do. So I became a teacher, I became a trainer, and I became a studio owner with my association with the NIA headquarters. Along the way, I, I, so I moved from the, the illness part of the spectrum over to the wellness part of the spectrum. And probably because of my nursing um, background, I really had a desire and really feel this is one of my life purposes is to bring this joy of movement to certain two populations that would not even think of 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 doing that for economic reasons for just the way that they think all just all sorts of things so i really set out to study i i went into certain populations to say how could i make this accessible to people. And dementia was one of them, and I was had the fortunate opportunity to be included on a grant that studied um, um, the benefits of um, art, expressive arts, storytelling, and movement. So I was the movement component of that. And that really gave me the deep dive into this experience. And so it really gave me the opportunity to test. See, one of the, the things about working in any special population is, and with Alzheimer's that is frequently lacking filters, mm-hmm. is it get immediate feedback. Mm-hmm. Is this working or not? Am I maintaining their, their, their attention on what's happening versus do they fall asleep? Do they walk away? Do they nod off? I mean, that's pretty strong feedback for a teacher. Like, nope, this isn't really keeping 
become engaged. And I actually really enjoyed that and played with different strategies to keep them engaged. And I'd you know, be more than happy to tell you about how I formatted that class. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I, I think so often, especially with dementia, people focus on what they're no longer able to do and they prejudge even without asking or trying so often with any of the arts at all. It's just like, well, no, they've, they've never been an artist. They can't do that. They don't, they don't have the mobility. They don't have the fine motor. And then when people are given the opportunity, I've, I've personally just seen people blossom. And I think part of it in my thinking is, you know, as the disease progresses, their ego leaves the building and they're not worried about being judged and they're much freer and much more comfortable than probably a lot of other people around them are um, in terms of just participating because they just, that's, that weight is off them, which is a pretty cool thing to be able to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so when I, when I went into it, I really, I really uh, blended my um, my expertise of working as a nurse with my skill of being a movement facilitator, and when I when I was in nursing school, um, and if there are any out nurses listening out there, they might have done this too. When I created a care plan for a particular patient, we needed to look at what was called the assets and liabilities, and that means what is a particular patient bringing to assist in their um, path to wellness, and what are some of the limitations or liabilities that get in the way? So, therefore, I created that for a um, Alzheimer dementia patient. Now, the other thing that, in, and along with this, is I looked at it holistically. So, I looked at it from the body, the mind, the emotions, and spirit. So, for example, let's look. If I look at the assets and liability. From the physical perspective, some of, at least when I, when I was working, I, there's a big spectrum of abilities. Mm-hmm. There were people that were very early stage Alzheimer's but were still in this facility that could walk. They got there. And then there were those that were in the wheelchair. They're completely wheelchair bound to get mm-hmm. around. Well, that's, or walking with canes or walking with walkers. So, but mobility can be an asset or a liability in terms of setting up the class. There are basically um, age, um, Alzheimer-related implications on the body. Um, The deterioration of that mind-body connection is creating a deterioration, but they're simply aging. Aging is also stepping in um, imbalances and fragile bones and joints and stiffness and all these other things. The main goal from the body is to provide safety, stimulate the mobility, and increase the levels of intensity. So when I go into it, this is some of the thinking that I want to include, but include that wide range of particular um, movement skill from walking to being in a wheelchair and having that be inclusive within a class. So let's look at it here, assets and liability from the mental realm or from from the mind. Okay, well, okay, liability, short term, short term memory would now be considered a liability, right? But an asset 
would be long term, mm -hmm. right? Would be would be long term. Yeah. However, what I could do is turn the liability, lack of short-term memory, into an asset. So one of the strategies that I used is I repeated many songs, right? They didn't care. I repeated songs, and actually that belt, I would never normally do that in a regular class, but that doesn't matter. I could repeat that, and actually it built a familiar al along the way. Uh, one of the other liabilities would be considered reducing language, their inability to understand instructions. Okay, I don't need to provide verbal instructions. I would use my body and encourage them to use their bodies. <laughs> so that was a way of looking at it. So the other aspect of the mind aspect, too, is using imagery language, being present in the moment, using sensation language instead of instructional languages, and play with the difference between long and short-term memory in a movement program. Can you give us an example of using sensation language versus instruction? Well, you know what? Um, what what I, I can I, I can do that, but I think what I if you don't mind uh -huh. what I would like to do is finish these four and okay. then, and then when I tell you how I structure the program, that will explain how I used how I use and then how I use that in a sense. Okay. 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 So just briefly here, so let's look at um, emotions. That's our our third one here. Emotions. So. Uh, there may be a great deal of emotional instability that can happen with an Alzheimer patient. Frustration, anger, confusion, all these other kinds of things. But what do we also have? Being in the moment, a childlike joy can also present itself. The best is during the class is to um, stimulate, use music that might stimulate a particular emotion in a safe way. Of course, I want to avoid any triggers or agitation, but using music that would stim stimulate memory that would also stimulate an emotion. Okay, now let's look at what we call spirit, or this is their uniqueness. Patients, elderly, memory care, Alzheimer's, can move into this place of depression, maybe, depression, and a lack of purpose and a lot, also a lot of frustration may come up here. Their assets are their, are their past life, mem their past memories mm -hmm. of their previous life, their stories and their memories is part of their assets. So the point is of creating the, their uniqueness to them is providing a place for dignity and respect, mm -hmm. is to access that and to treat them accordingly. So those are, you know, those are, those are the broad strokes of what my intention is to then create a movement program. Okay, so if I could describe that, stepping in to create a program. The facility that I taught in um, had about 25 clients at it. It was a, it was a big group. And the, the, the assistants brought out the, the, the clients, and it was shaped more or less in an, in, an, in an arc. And I was in the center, and I would arrive at the facility, and TNT TV is on, on a massive screen, massive screen, right? And um, 
So I would simply, I, wouldn't, I didn't introduce myself. What does it matter? doesn't matter. What my name is. I'm not going to learn theirs. They're not going to remember mine. But I wore the same bright top every time I came. So I create a visual image of that. Uh, I turned off the TV without saying a word. I put on my three favorite songs. First song being from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Right? That, oh, what a, you know, oh, the, you know, are live in the meadow, right? And then my second song was I've Been Working on the Railroad. The third song that I put on was Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Now, from a, from a physical component, what am I doing? I'm starting to stimulate their joints, and I'm also stimulating the six positions of a healthy spine. I'm doing forward, gentle forward and back bending. I'm doing lateral movement, and the palm direction, creating a figure eight, creates rotation through the spine, okay? So now that is now going to trigger or ideally stimulate a physical response in their body. Now, that's the first time through. The second time through, I, without saying a word to them, stand up. I stand up. And, you know, the, the old-timer or the elderly pay, uh, client is sometimes very much like a baby. And what I mean by that is babies do not move through pain. And babies, a lot of times, know what they can and cannot do. And what I mean by that is when I stood up, mm-hmm. those that could stood up, stand up stood up. I didn't tell them. They just did it. They held on to their walker. Those that were in a wheelchair simply stayed put. I've been working on the railroad is very aerobic. Mm-hmm. When people are lifting their feet and they're singing, their heart rate is pumping. <laughs> Mine was pumping, you know. And so then when I go in a swing low sweet chariot and once again return to the spine, so this is all, at this point, getting them into their body. Okay, now, one of the other things that I like to play with is how to balance the mind and the body. I just work their bodies. Mm-hmm. So now they're tired, too. They're tired, I'm tired. So I have everybody sit back down, and what I do, this is, sometimes I did this, but I'm just going to share this now, is I went around the room with Jurgen's hand lotion, okay? Jurgen's hand lotion is an older hand cream, right? Mm-hmm. Every now and then I even sprayed Chanel number no. 5. I mean, <laughs> Chanel, you know, because that has a strong scent to it, right? And, you know, because the goal was, like, let's stimulate the senses. I want to stimulate the senses so they're having an experience. Okay, now, here's my point. This is bringing me back to Nia is we have in Nia something called hand techniques. A lot of different hand techniques. So I have them all rubbing their hands with Jurgen's hand cream, and now they are aware of the sensation of their hands. So then I start asking questions. I say, has anybody been out on a summer night catching fireflies? So everybody starts grabbing 
the fireflies, because this is something organic. But this is a move that we actually use in Nia called catching flies, which is a wraparound grasp. It's a wraparound grasp. So then we can get quite excited about it, which creates community, and go, yes, I've got it, yes, I've got it, yes, I've got it, which creates a type of a, um, of a memory and a joy, and I'm stimulating the sensation of their hands. The other thing can be, well, shake out the, you know, shake out the fly or shake water off your hands. If your fingers were like caterpillars, how might they move? Have you ever seen a caterpillar tickled under a cat? These are hand techniques that we actually use in class. Another one can be, have you ever milked a cow? Well, I have never milked a cow, but I know that action of the squeeze and the pull. This is something, a hand technique, that we use in Nia called pumps, hand pumps. So now they're in, they've rested, on, they've rested, and they have different memories, and somebody might even tell a story, and we're all playing with this. Okay, now I want to get them going again. I'm going to return to the physical body, and one of the things that I played with a lot, see if you can hear this, is I took a plastic juice bottle, this one happened to be grape juice, and I put in hard, uncooked chickpeas. Mm -hmm. So it has this loud sound to it. And the shape of this lunchbox size plastic bottle is easily to hold on to. So what I did with this then is have them start shaking this, and I have specific music that has a very strong beat to it. Mm -hmm. So they're shaking it, and of course, they're exercising their biceps. They're getting the sensation of vibration through their body. We're switching hands, etc. So it literally is creating that bicep tricep, but creating a much stronger sensation through their body. Now, this was really fun. When we're, NIA, when we're NIA teachers, we learn to count out music. We count out in something that's called a bar, and the bar is one and two and up to eight and, and then we would mark our choreography on it. So what we do with that is we bracket our hands up high for the one, and then we bring the heels of the hand down like it's hitting a snare drum on the end. So once again, I bring my fellow Alzheimer's students into play, and we count. We count. Their attention was so high. They, I played with different things with them. They counted up. They counted down. They were completely involved in the physical sensation of being with the music and counting at the same time. I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And it was just so much fun, and their attention was so high at that point. It was really awesome. Okay, now, after that, that could have been standing. The music is strong at that point. So now I want to calm it down once again. Is anybody a teacher in this room? Well... You can bet somebody was a teacher in that room, right? Somebody's a teacher. So then the question is, does anybody know the vowels? 
Does anybody know the vowels? So somebody will, of course, raise their hand and go, A-E-I-O-U, right? They, they're going to spout out the vowels because they remember the vowels. That's way back where, and they know the vowels. So then what I start doing is playing with toning the vowels, so elongating the tone of the vowels. Instead of A-E-I-O-U, we're now toning a e i you get the idea o u so now they're creating their music inside and we have these energy systems in our body called the chakras they're literally now starting to vibrate internally their organs and it creates this beautiful harmonic throughout the room and then, okay, for all you yogis out there, then I put on the song, which they all know, as Home on the Range. Home on the Range. So Home on the Range has the tone of Om in it. Home on the Range. So they all turn into yogis all of a sudden. They're toning Om. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just... <laughs> It's just certain ways to bring in a playful way to stimulate their body, not only from the outside, but also from the inside with that vibrational, vibrational um, piece. Now, of course, music. Music plays a really big part in, um, in creating an Alzheimer program and tapping into and there's a lot much a lot of research out about this and you will probably right all know that is the type of music that will stimulate something that's familiar and stimulate a memory and so yes like so for example songs from the 50s rock around the clock right these songs of the 50s that um, Johnny Cash, et cetera, that can be familiar to most people, even if they really didn't even like it that much. It's still going to be usually familiar to them. Mm -hmm. What does that music stimulate? If you play that music, Rock Around the Clock, or uh, I forget the other one, Jailhouse Rock, Twisting. Mm -hmm. The dance of the 50s was about twisting. So therefore, if that music, it's amazing to put a piece of music like that on, and in general, most people will start to twist, which again creates a rotation, sensation of rotation through the body, even if they cannot name it. And I can demonstrate that with my hands in a palm direction. I can start twisting my body. I can do it standing. I can do it sitting. In either case, the music, the organic nature of the music simply lends itself to the, act, the desired action. Most pieces of music have a chorus and a verse, at least. So I would provide two different movements to counterbalance that within a song. Children's music. I remember being asked about this once. Is it, is it, is it um, undignified to provide children's music in an Alzheimer class? And absolutely not. It sparks memory for them. Songs like Wheels on the Bus... Oh, my goodness. Wheels on the bus with all the hand gestures. I, I would do wheels on the bus several times. Standing, sitting, whatever, singing the words. 
um, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, all these nursery rhyme songs that create um, a, you, many people a pleasant memory and add organic movement through the body in addition to hand techniques. The other thing that I would, you know, I would play with different props along the way. Um, I would use scarves. Scarves are a really wonderful way to create flow. So I had a wide variety of, of props I used. I also had a, um, a, what I created for all of them, you can see this, but people can, is a ribbon stick. And I would ask them to identify the ribbon the thin orange, the thick red, and then people would take a lot of pride. This is the red, you know, and they would show that out. And then I would do the song of something like What a Wonderful World by, um, you know, who does that song? What a Wonderful World. Um, I can hear it, but I can't think of it. Puffy Cheeks, right? (laughs) (laughs) Who sings that? Somebody is saying, somebody is screaming that out right now. Uh, Oh, Louis Armstrong. Yeah. (laughs) Louis Armstrong. The other thing that um, that uh, I I also would do with them is I would also you know it's stressful. I figured it was stressful um, having for many people um, having Alzheimer and the amount of stress and confusion that it might create. And with their permission, I would put on some gentle relaxation music. And with their permission, I might put gentle, I would provide touch on their shoulders, like take an inhale and an exhale with them. So they had my physical touch and were breathing together for one inhale and exhale to let go of tension and create um, a moment of, of, of cool down for them. Some people didn't like it and they were great about telling me immediately um, if they didn't like that. The one last thing I want to say is about the programs that I would play with with them is I was willing to take risk. And what does that mean? I would, a lot of the program I created, I just repeated. Like the, the Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, or I've Been Working on a Railroad. I, I didn't need to reinvent the wheel every time. I wanted to get them going. However, I wanted to create different diversity in it. Like I, I would do things with music. What music was familiar to them? And then where did they fall off? The music was no longer familiar to them. I did a thing when the, some of the older Alzheimer's of marching, many of them were from post-war. They knew the war to play with marching songs. Marching songs have a very strong beat, people that are patriotic. There's also holidays, playing Christmas music, playing music that for people, residents that were Jewish, playing different types of music that would appeal um, to their ethnicity too, I would experiment with. Um, Playing with, I didn't really play with balls, too much confusion. I know some people can play with softballs, but my group was too big, and that just created chaos. So I wanted to balance off between, between creating stimulation but not tipping into chaos to create enough skill that somebody's engaged but not tip over into frustration. Or, and another sign of if some skill is too high is, is like boredom where people will nod out and just check out because it's too much. 
And again, as I said, they're very um, honest in terms of that particular uh, feedback in terms of creating a program. So, you know, I did this in a group setting, but a lot of these ideas can be, can be done um, with somebody that's even at home. Taking those songs that were particularly familiar to that person and creating very simple movements and even singing along with it and letting the music be organic. Like the, the movement just starts happening if it's a familiar, if it's a familiar song. So a lot of those things can be done, deep breathing, toning, singing, all these sorts of things that can create this natural um, elevation, elevation of joy. And my definition is, are they in the joy of movement? Well, I don't know for sure because they're not communicating that. But it would be, I can see a return to vitality. I can see a return to a brightness in their eyes. I could see a return to their physical bodies being engaged. I could see a vitality return if they smiled to their to emotions or to their mental, to their thinking, their mind or imagination being engaged. And that's how I would I would rate I would uh, assess that. And frequently, sometimes after the program ended, I would see them return back. And part of that made me sad. However, they had that moment. They had that moment. Wow. Well, I, I love how you really balance, you know, the, the physicality and the, the mental and emotional. When you mentioned about the music and them doing the twisting, I'll never forget my mom. All of a sudden, this music was on and my mom shimmied. None of us even knew she could do that. And just she did this perfect shimmy. And, and that brought all of us joy, too, to just see people blossom. And I was really happy when you talked about children's music, because I know I've personally been scolded by others going, you can't do that. You can't say that, blah, 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 blah. She's not a child. And I have kind of stopped people in their tracks in, in not necessarily always a real polite way, depending on how they're approaching me. And going, don't tell me what brings my mom joy. Yeah. You know, you have no right to judge that. Just because that's how you perceive it doesn't mean that's how we're perceiving it. And my mom loved all the nursery rhymes or, you know, the hymns from church or or the prayers, Uh, all of that stuff she remembered. And, you know, it it stayed with her because, like you said, that was long term memory and to be able to bring the joyfulness out that a child has because their joy is is I think much purer than ours you know because we again are kind of judging should should we really be this happy what are people going to say if we really let all of our emotions out kids I mean they just squeal in joy and you know they or a connectiveness you know when you're talking about using scarves I've seen that in a room where a lot of people who um, are, are watching people with dementia, you know, play with scarves or beach balls, mm-hmm. and they, they're kind of prudish about it. Mm-hmm. And they're missing what's actually happening. Yeah. Because they are so obsessed and so uncomfortable 
that it's it's child's play that they are missing the point of the connection and the beauty and the joy that's happening before them. And, and when you mentioned, you could see it in their eyes, you can see it in the physicality of, of their bodies, you know, just raising up. And, uh, you know, I've seen where the heads are down and they're totally disconnected and all of a sudden they're participating. Right. How can you not, and, and, and this is me, cause I'm, I'm really into this, but you know, I think, how can somebody not see that? Right. But it's because they're so preoccupied with right or wrong that they're they're missing the point of true raw connection and the beauty of simplicity. Um, you know, when you were talking too about, you know, you kind of um, bringing them up and then kind of letting letting them relax and bringing them out again. You know, in keynote speaking, that's what they always say. You know, you got to keep them moving. You can you can bring them up or you can bring them down, but you know, you always have to keep that roller coaster going to keep your audience engaged. And you really understand the balance of that and what the body and mind needs um, to stay engaged. Where I think a lot of people just kind of stay at one level and go, okay, here we go, you know, and, and kind of like that, that spinner class, you know, where it's just go, 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 go. And, you know, they, they, they need the, they need the different variables and the different mediums, um, you know, to connect. And so, boy, I'm really impressed with how you have described everything. And even just talking about going from disease to wellness, People talk about that all the time, but few people implement that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you guys have really wrapped yourself around that. Now, with, with um, the NIA um, studios, you know, those are throughout the country then, is that correct? Yes. yes. And they're all over the world. They're all okay. over the world. Okay, all over the world. All over and the world. Do all of them do specialty classes like yours? No. What Nia has, um, Nia has um, the classic um, Nia classes, and there's a training system. There's Mm -hmm. a four-level training system. And then there is a program called Moving to Heal. Mm-hmm. And moving to heal, um, there are a number of teachers out there, and I'm also a moving to heal trainer. And um, the moving to heal program actually starts with healer heal thyself. Mm-hmm. That it's very important that um, so it's not based on repetitious exercises to move. It is that the teacher themselves knows the concepts of self-healing and acknowledges their self-healing and increases the ability to sense their body at a higher level. And it is with that then a moving to heal um, uh, program graduate then does something called the apprenticeship, which is a year-long program that looks at the... um, the anatomy looks at different concepts to work with these concepts and to experiment and to teach moving to heal classes. Um, what I've been doing is a little more specialized, and I created a program called the Art of Stepping In that um, that allows um, people that have the knee knowledge to start to use that skill and create what's called a client-based program. 
as, you know, a lot of exercise programs like you were referring to are simply the teacher gets up and it's do it this way. Mm-hmm. Moving to heel and even the artist stepping in is designed to create a program that is um, based on the particular population or client. Those particular needs. One of the brilliant things about... Um, you know, um, Debbie Rosas, is that exercise used to be no, uh, no pain, no gain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Debbie eradicated that and put in really the pleasure principle that the body thrives on pleasure and comfort in the body so that I don't need to be in pain to know I have a body that I can be in pain and acknowledge it. So therefore, I don't need the big, you know, the big one to, to wait for that to get and live in my body. Then I can live in my body all the time. And the, the Nia class or the moving to heel class is like going to the mat and exercising and stimulating my body to become even more self-aware. So that's well, really how Nia works. Well, and I love that. I mean, I think of going to the gym, which I don't do anymore. But the last few times when I when I've started going to the gym, I would get a trainer. And the last time I could barely walk for two weeks. I mean, it was it was horrible. And to me, that was a abuse of their power and their knowledge was to really make me feel bad. And so and then it was like, my body physically got hurt. I had to go to the doctor the last time. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so now I, there's kind of a distrust that I have yeah. for a trainer. And, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that's just, you know, me denying that I want to work out. But it, it, I mean, it is a valid excuse in terms of that. But I, I also, when you were talking, I, it made me think of laughter yoga. And the first time I experienced that with people with dementia, yeah, they just blossomed. They totally. just blossom because they could each do it their own way they were complimented everybody was laughing having a good time but you could see their body chemistry change and and then you could watch their care partners body chemistry change because it was creating this moment of joy in this normal flow um when you were talking about the training program i thought oh my gosh it's kind of like caring for the caregiver. We always say you got to care for the caregiver That's first. Right. That's right. And, um, you know, understanding the true needs uh, and the benefits to yourself, again, making it be about us and our similarities instead of our differences, I think right. is a huge differentiating approach um, in terms of how we care for ourselves and others. Um And so I could see this being extremely beneficial to train caregivers, care partners, care companions, because then they could take this home. Because like you said, this doesn't have to be complicated. You know, they've got things at their disposal. They just don't know how to use them, you know, and to be able to show them that. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you guys need a grant, you know, for that, because the, the the families just need so much help out right. there, and this would be good for everybody. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And um, some of the other, so again, the, the main uh, training program in NIA, and then um, there, so there are these subspecialties. Mm-hmm. 
the moving to heal is one, and then there are two others that I'd just like to, to compliment on, uh, comment on, and one is called Five Stages, which is a program that plays with the five landmark um, of development. So the embryonic creeping, crawling, standing, and walking. So there's a whole subspecialty class on that. And again, this is the brilliance of Debbie Rosas, that she brought in um, the five stages, which all babies have taught us, Mm -hmm. and brought it into a fitness modality. And it becomes a way that we can self-heal and test out how our body is feeling on a particular day. The other one is called floor play, floor play, (laughs) playing on the floor. And, you know, the thing about floor play, so I teach that here in my studio. I have a beautiful floor here, is when you think about it is, you know, one of the things that literally can kill people, elderly people, is falling. And so one of the things that we play with is the skill of getting up and down from the floor and creating different ways to get up and down from the floor and letting people explore that because it is like the number one way to keep mobility and stability and strength in the body by learning how to get up and down from the floor. And it literally could save somebody's life by being able to do that. So there, it, there's so much brilliance that uh, really I give so much credit to Debbie Rosas that she brought this into the fitness world and it literally is life-saving, literally is life-saving. Wow. That, you know, when you talk about falls, that is huge. I can't tell you how many clients say, well, we had to call the, the police or the fire that mm-hmm. came out to help us because we couldn't do that. I have one girlfriend who um, has cared for others and she is adamant. She is going to keep her core strong so she can get on and off the toilet. No matter what happens to her, she can get up off the floor on her own. And I mean, she, you know, she's in her mid sixties and she's Mm -hmm. just very adamant. You know, she's like, I don't want help in those areas. I want to be able to do that myself. But most people don't even think about those things until you know, they're looking for the, the button to push, you know, or the, the phone number to call right. because they're in that in that situation. And as we all know, you know, a fall can do a lot of damage lot where of damage. it's not going to be possible for somebody to always recoup totally from that. You know, it could be a broken hip or, you I know, agree. cracking a head open. I mean, they're, they're, it, the list just goes on and on and on. Um well, I am just fascinated by the work you guys are doing. I would love to see this in in every um, community for seniors as a whole. Yes. Um, but also just in community centers. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is just, it, it's it's just such a brilliant way to not only connect with our bodies and and enhance our abilities, but to be able to have fun in a community sense. And when you were talking, I thought, gosh, it would be kind of cool to even do um, a pilot on having this be intergenerational because seniors and people with dementia love watching little kids and to have them participate, I I almost think could bring it to even a whole nother level because they love, um, you know, they just feed off of that. They feed off of one another um, because it's just such a natural, a natural part 
You know, before we wrap up, uh, Casey, I want to ask, can people, is this only an in-person thing or can they access these programs online as well? They absolutely can access these programs online. A NIA training, a Moving to Heal training, uh, any other program. There are, you know, this is one of the benefits that um, COVID provided is forcing the online program. And NIA has a beautiful course for their training programs. Moving to Heal is a seven-week program. You can contact me for that and also look at that on NIA now. And my artist stepping in is also an online program. Uh, so yes, people can look in. There's a NIA finder. There's a trainer finder on NIA now to see if it is online or in person. But that is one of the things which creates the w- w- worldwide reach is all these online platforms and classes. People can even experience a Moving to Heal class online. Fantastic. And again, they can get to your the website of neonow.com or they can go to your personal website, caseybernstein.com. If you prefer email, uh, you can email nia at nia at neonow.com. You can email Casey at caseybernstein1 at gmail.com. And gosh, no reason not to participate now in person or online. So that's right. Keep up the great work, and thank you for your time today. Thank you, Lori. Thank you for your work and including me in this discussion. So thanks, everybody. Please like, click, and share this. And don't forget to subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio if you haven't done that already so you don't miss any of our shows. This was just, I thought, a really, really valuable, valuable conversation and uplifting, something that we can all use to to live better. So thanks again, everyone. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the way showers who will help your journey a lot easier.